Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. We'll give you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, attraction, dating, persuasion, networking. In fact, we just mailed out our networking ebook and strategy guide for everybody who's on that. If you're not on that, I don't think it's too late. You can go there and grab that. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, you can go to theartofcharm.com and grab that as well. Public speaking, negotiation, a whole lot more. We've also got our live programs running here in LA. If you want to really dive in, we're sold out a few months in advance, but just reach out, jordan at theartofcharm.com, get you some info on that, plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with my friend Mark Manson. He's an author and a blogger, but he's pretty prolific when it comes to dating and relationships. And it's funny because he came also from that sort of pickup artist school of thought and has escaped much like us uh, years ago. And now he's just a good dude, you know, getting married, has a functional relationship as far as we can see. So we're going to talk about why love is not enough and how people prioritize love over other more important values. We're going to discuss that and how to make sure that's not you, the relationship scorecard and other toxic habits that ruin relationships, as well as boundaries, how to know if yours are being violated, where they maybe should be, and how to get out of a tough bind if your boundaries are being invaded, or let's, let's just say taking inventory of your boundaries. So enjoy this one with Mark Manson. Mark, I'm glad to have you here uh, because we both have a common foundation in, I even hate saying it out loud, but I'm going to, this sort of pickup artist community from five plus, maybe even almost 10 years ago now, where we started working in this industry and both of us have long since exited, at least uh, half a decade ago probably, because of what we sort of found in the industry without getting too much inside baseball on it. Uh, it just wasn't what we had hoped it would have been and or we grew out of it, probably a little of both uh, in terms of needing those skills. But you and I were talking pre-show and you brought up a really interesting point, which is this stuff that you learn when you're doing the whole pickup thing, the reason that some women hate it is because it's manipulative, but the reason that a lot of men hate it and women for that matter is because it's actually a, it's a bad screen. It's like a... 
it's like filtering a bunch of water and then you you lick it right and you don't drink the clean water on the other side because you're only getting the crappy part when you filter in what you get from when you're using canned lines and dumb communication tactics because you're filtering in low self-esteem people and then that kind of goes back to bite you and goes wait a minute the people who are responding to this aren't what I really wanted to solve my problems. And it's like that analogy where you're born in prison, you think the whole world is what you can see from your window. Does that make sense? Yeah, and basically you have a population of people who have never licked anything in their life, so they they lick all this scummy crap that just got filtered out, and they're like, oh my God, I'm licking something, it works. This is success. <laughs> it's better than nothing, exactly. It's sort of a weird self-fulfilling prophecy because then, yes, if you come into it and you're not that social, or even if you are but you have bad, quote-unquote, luck, you have bad skills, right, you get a bunch of attention but you get the wrong kind. Then you start to get really good at, you make bad habits out of this communication. So you start dating people who are crazy or have problems or have low self-esteem or whatever, and you start to think all women are like this because you're surrounded by it. Right, and it, and it's the only experience you've had. You just assume that this is what dating is, is these type of manipulative games and he said, she said type stuff. To analogize this to your business and my business, we had to change our own brands really dramatically to escape from this, right? We didn't want to be pickup artist guys anymore. We didn't even want to be dating guys that much anymore. But when you do that, you're afraid you're going to lose your customers, the people who pay, you keep the lights on in your office, you're going to have to fire your staff because you're not going to do it. And I think in the dating world, it's the exact same thing. Once you get into this and you get good at it, it becomes kind of an addiction because one, it feeds your ego, but two, how do you rebrand yourself, right? How do you get out of this when that's all you know and it's kind of working even if the results are toxic? And what we were kind of talking about before the show is I think you get the same kind of dynamic, which is, you, you know, for both you and I are actually, I don't know your business history. I think you used to be a lawyer. Or, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, starting your first business for me, this was starting my first business and it's the first time I had business success as well. And you learn a number of marketing and sales tactics and, you know, this is what your sales page should look, look like. And these are the types of banners that you should put up and you should email and spam a bunch of people saying stuff like this. And it's the exact same dynamic that, that when you've never sold anything before and you get your first sales by doing these kind of, again, manipulative and just kind of scummy tactics that you don't realize that there's a whole demographic of people out there that don't respond to those things. A big change for me and my, my business and my career was coming to the realization that, that I can still sell my work and make money without having to like push it on the people or without having to write my marketing a certain way or without having to like promise like these three lines will get any girl to call you back or you know stuff like that that there's a whole population of people out there who don't respond to that kind of cheesy forceful manipulative communication style and um it's ironic that that was a huge realization for me in my personal life with my relationships. You know, I don't have to communicate this way with women. I don't have to communicate this way in my relationships. In fact, if I don't, what I'll do is I'll screen the right people into my life. And, you know, applying that to my business, it was the same thing. It's, it's, if I stop communicating this way, then the people who will read me and support me will actually be like the cool, honest, open people who 
you know, are there for a legitimate reason. And I feel like people do this in their lives in a lot of ways, the rebrand, right? But it's always scary. And in order to take that leap, you, you either have one of two things. You, you're so optimistic and positive that you see that you can succeed in anything, which would be great, right? But that's a little bit of a cherry-coated or maybe sugar-coated type, uh, type of sentiment. The other one is you're in so much pain from doing it this way that anything else becomes preferable, so the risk becomes worth it to take the leap. Yeah, I would even go a little bit deeper. I, mean, I, I think this style of communication, this this style of almost like salesmanship that's kind of present in our relationship, our businesses, just the way we talk to normal day-to-day -day people, I think it's become very much embedded within our culture. Uh, it's it's almost seen as normal at this point. It's seen as normal. Like it, it's not enough to just go out and meet a few people and just talk about, you know, just shoot the shit and talk about sports or whatever. Like you need a, people feel like they need a reason. They, they need to have a goal that they're working towards. Like, okay, I'm networking for business right now, or, or, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to score this many phone numbers, or I'm going to try to prove that, you know, I'm, I'm this really successful guy. And, and, uh, I think in our culture today, like this has become just par for the course. Like this is just accepted that it's something that everybody does. And I think people always have kind of an ulterior motive. And I think what we're talking about is just removing that and simply the way I, I describe it in some of my work is, is communicating unconditionally, which is basically saying that whatever you say or do, you're doing without any expectation of anything in return. It's like pure expression um, of how you feel or, or whatever your thought is. It's, Sounds really kind of like abstract and, and mm -hmm. subtle, but to me, I mean, it's one of the most life-changing realizations that I've ever come to. Tell us what you do in your own words in one sentence. Can you do that? I am a writer, author, and blogger. Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. That's a little bit of a cheat though, right? Because you don't tell us what it's about, <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate a good dodge, even if it's accidental. <laughs> you're pretty prolific you're out there you've written a couple of really viral posts as well one of which i'm gonna get the title wrong was something like fuck yes or hell no or something like that was am i close it was called fuck yes or no okay i was close i added a hell in there and that went crazy i mean everybody saw that like everyone um if you haven't seen that we'll link it up in the show notes and it's really good it's about selecting relationships and it's kind of in line with what we had just been discussing but why should people listen to you other than if they haven't seen your writing why should people go and check it out <laughs> You know I I get this email a lot from readers they say sure I really like your articles but why should I listen to you and my answer is always I don't know you shouldn't like I always just tell people read some of my stuff and if you like it and if it makes sense that's great. And if it doesn't, that's also great. I don't have any sort of, you know, amazing credentials other than just a lot of people read me and listen to me. So people should choose for themselves whether they want to. Right. And take it from me, a guy who has a law degree who you shouldn't trust with anything important uh, legally. A degree is not going to make a damn bit of difference, right? But it, I do understand people. I think the reason people ask you that is because they want to trust you and they're looking for they want to figure out if there's a hole in it somewhere, right? And some people are hung up on academics, but I believe that that's less than the people that just 
they need you to sell them a little bit because you're asking them to do really hard things, like ask the questions that we're going to talk about in a bit. I totally agree. I, I think some of it is they want to trust me. And then I think some of the people, they come across me and, you know, something I say or something I write kind of like makes them go, whoa, what the hell? Never thought of that before. And I think they're just so accustomed to like, well, if a really important idea just hit me, it must be coming from like a really important and credentialed person. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm not. So (laughs) sad trombone, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Excellent. Well, you've written some really great pieces that I'm interested in personally, one of which is called Love is Not Enough. And it's about the mistakes people make and the the way that people look at love and relationships as sort of a a tool or a problem solution or something that that quote unquote conquers all. And I, I love this article because it really does nail the mindsets that create, that lead a lot of people to really crappy, destructive, codependent relationships, divorces, and things like that. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's kind of revolutionary for a lot of people. I think people know some of the stuff academically, but applying it to yourself is another thing. So I'm going to ask you to teach us how to do that as well. Sure. So Love is Not Enough, it was actually inspired by a friend of mine, actually down here in Brazil. And basically, she was her boyfriend was a deadbeat, like he was a loser and treated her really poorly. And she was still in love with him. And for years, all of her friends, you know, we were constantly kind of telling her, like nudging her, like, hey, get rid of this guy. And she never would. And her justification was always just that, well, I love him. And so finally, I kind of got frustrated one day and I was like, I need to write about this, you know, and and because I could look back in my life and I could see a few relationships myself where I put up with a lot of things that were very bad for me and very unhealthy for me just because I had strong feelings. And one thing I I believe strongly and, and pops up in my work a lot is that feelings are, they're signposts, they're feedback mechanisms. They're not, they're not laws, you know, just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to, doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that it's an obligation. So I basically, I, I put together this article, has have some fun stories in there about John Lennon and Trent Reznor and basically making the point that this whole idea that love conquers all, that, you know, happily ever after, that as long as you love each other, everything will work out. Just from my personal experience, the people I know, but also from like digging into the research on relationships, it's not true. What's far more important are things like trust and respect, basic communication habits. Uh, You can feel really, really strongly about somebody who is bad for you. And that's just a fact of human nature. And so I basically wanted the article to say that. I I think it's amazing because it's so obvious when you read it because you see it from the outside perspective. We don't see it from the people who are in these relationships, right? We don't see all the hard stuff. And a lot of people equate or mistakenly equate love with things like compatibility. And in your article, you write that just because you're falling in love with someone doesn't mean they're a good partner for you. And I agree. One of the prime teachings here at AOC is that love is an emotional process and compatibility is a logical process. Yes. They don't really, they don't really play together very well most of the time, right? Like buying something you really want because it's cool. It's seldom a really good investment, right? And so you see people who don't know how to manage money. Often it's not because they don't know how to 
manage a 401k or invest in index funds. It's because they don't know how to make logical decisions instead of emotional decisions. And it's the same thing with relationships. They're impulsive, basically. Impulsive, Im impulsive, or their calculations are just completely wrong. You know, I yeah. think a lot of people who aren't just like, I'll buy this right now because I want it. There's some of that, but there are some people that don't even see why buying a new flat screen every single year because it's five inches bigger is not a good move. There are people that don't get that you don't have to have every video game because that's it's important in their world to feel good as much as possible because they maybe they right. spent a lot of their life feeling bad. They're still doing it, right? They're using it to cover something else. And a lot of times people who fall in love have different goals or they have different ways of being in a relationship and, and love can mask all of that for a limited amount of time. Totally, totally. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because if you put it very geniusly, in, in the, if geniusly is a word, actually I'm not sure if it is, but it is now. <laughs> I'll uh, take it. In the article. I need credentials, Jordan, I yes, need them. Dot g <laughs> yes, you are a genius.ly. Um, I mean, one thing that's true about human nature in general is that we are constantly biased by our emotions. Like we, none of us are very rational creatures, or at least we struggle to be, to be rational. It's something that we have to like consciously work towards. And, you know, science has shown again and again that people generally, when faced with, with important decisions, they tend to take whatever they feel and then make up explanations to justify that feeling. And it takes a lot of self-awareness and practice and effort to start to overcome that tendency. And I think like anything else, you know, some people are just kind of naturally better at it than others. Some people have more practice at it than others. But I think getting swept away and being in love with somebody and just assuming that that by itself, the emotion by itself has this gravity or of this meaning that it's not necessarily there. It's not necessarily true. So how do we uncover this mask? How do we look beyond the mask? Because it's one thing to know, like, hey, look, maybe love in my head conquers all because I'm young or I'm, you know, blinded by it. But how do we know if we're falling in love with somebody who sucks for us and sucks for our happiness? How do we see that in the moment? Or when do we even get to look for that? When are we able to see that? Well, I think there's another article I want to write. I haven't written it yet. So uh, maybe this is the sneak preview here on your show. Okay. Um, but Trust yourself less. Like I said, we all have a natural inclination to just want to justify what we already feel. And I think a really, really important habit for people to develop is an ability to look at their initial thoughts and feelings about a situation or about a relationship or about a major life decision and then not trust it, question it, be skeptical of it. Say, all right, is this person really an amazing girlfriend or boyfriend, or am I just totally kidding myself? Um, am I just being desperate or am I being, is this my insecurity that's getting played to, or do I just like the benefits of being with this person rather than the person themselves? I think these are questions that most people don't like to ask themselves because they're uncomfortable. <laughs> it causes you to think about things that are very, very unpleasant, but I think they're important. And I think it's a, it's a skill that that should be practiced and developed as much as possible. And trusting yourself less is an interesting concept. I mean, it's something that kind of goes against a lot of what's important for confidence, but I think it's about putting that confidence, that trust in the right place. 
not maybe generally yeah. trusting yourself less, right? Like you can have low self-esteem. It's not necessarily because you don't trust yourself, not necessarily going to end up with a better relationship for sure. The way I like to think of confidence is, is simply being comfortable with failure. I think the two kind of go together well in that. So let's say, I mean, social confidence is essentially being comfortable with the idea that, you know, some people aren't going to like you and, right. and some people are going to disagree with you. I think that that actually goes along pretty well with not trusting yourself. And because I think to be comfortable with other people potentially not liking you or agreeing with you, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you're wrong and that what you're saying is actually stupid. I think a lot of people get like have this kind of knee jerk negative reaction to these kinds of ideas because they assume that, you know, when I say consider the idea that you're wrong or that your feelings are wrong and that you shouldn't follow them, they take that as meaning as just assuming you're wrong, assuming you're a failure already. And what I'm talking about is kind of walking that tightrope of being able to consider the alternative, being able to consider that you're wrong about everything and that you you kind of suck at a lot of things that you don't know about um, without necessarily accepting it, without necessarily knowing that it's true, if that makes sense. It does. I think a lot, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're saying you should be comfortable being wrong without it affecting your identity and meaning something about who you are. Right. And this comes back to what we were just talking about at the beginning of the show, which is communicating unconditionally. A lot of people have this idea that people who who are not comfortable with the possibility of being wrong or being inferior or sucking at something, these people will always approach communicating with others in a conditional way of trying to prove something, trying to prove that they're right or prove that they're smart or prove that they're cool or prove that they're confident, when actually real confidence is the complete opposite of that. It's real confidence is the state of having proved nothing to anybody, including yourself. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, back to Mark Manson. Right, it kind of reminds me of Elon Musk versus maybe some Wall Street guy. <laughs> maybe even better. Remember that minister in Iraq who was like, there's nothing happening here. The war has not reached the capital. And like, there's a building on fire behind him and he's people are running. <laughs> and it's like, there's that guy. And then there's Elon Musk who's like, yeah, the rocket blew up. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna and before he's even talking to the media and he's talking to his team about what went wrong, what might have gone wrong, who they need to contact. Like, he's not going, oh, I'm a failure as an engineer and as a human and as an entrepreneur. It's really, really deeply ingrained in him that he can do it and that this is just a part of the process. Yeah, it's, um, you see this a lot in a lot of like great business people or entrepreneurs. You know, there's a lot of Steve Jobs stories, Bill Gates stories that are similar. And actually, you know, this is kind of like the major theme of the book that I'm working on right now is that success in life comes from a comfort with the negative. It comes from being comfortable with failure, being comfortable with your insecurities, being comfortable with saying something stupid or, or doing something wrong. It's a very backwards way to kind of like look at self-help and improving one's life. But I think it's more important than anything. I, I agree. Uh, I think it's it's one of the, the keys to growth and it's tough. It's easier said than done. It's really hard to go, okay, from now on, I'm going to be comfortable with failure. It doesn't really work like that for most of us. Right. And bringing it back to love when you're looking for a partner, you've got to use your mind as well as your heart. In other words, use your logical brain as well as your emotional brain because you've got to evaluate, for long-term compatibility, you've got to evaluate their values, how they treat themselves, how they treat others, especially their family, their ambitions, their worldviews, as you put it as well, because once you fall in love with somebody who's incompatible with you, and we see this all the time. You see like, wow, they're the most unlikely couple, and then, which is fine often, if, if you're depending on the circumstances, but you're looking at a lot of people where it's like, look, I can't believe those two are a match, their parents don't like it, their friends don't like it. There's usually a reason for that. Uh, you wrote in your article, as the ski instructor from South Park once said, you're gonna have a bad time. Uh, <laughs> when I read that originally, I looked at arranged marriages, and I thought, hmm, they go really extreme in that direction to use your mind instead of your instead of your heart. 
not only as well as, right? And, and yes, those were probably political 5,000 years ago or whenever those started, but I think today they carry on not only because of tradition, but because older folks who are a little bit more grounded or a lot more grounded know that young people make dumb moves because of hormones and emotions. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny. I actually read something a year or two ago. It was kind of like the history of romance, the history of love. And what the author said is that this whole concept of, you know, romantic love and happily ever after and till death do us part and everything really didn't become a social value until like the mid 1800s. She said that throughout most of human history, romance was actually seen as something very dangerous and very toxic and something that parents would consciously steer their teenagers and young and children like away from one thing she mentioned that kind of blew my mind is she said that Romeo and Juliet was actually written as a satire. It was written as like a warning to the younger generation of like, this is what happens when you go crazy falling in love with somebody, you know, everybody dies basically, <laughs> you know, everything right. gets ruined, the families get ruined, but it's funny that it's been reinterpreted in the last hundred years as this like, you know, beautiful, romantic piece. Uh, right. This love story with Leonardo DiCaprio. And, and you're just like, Oh, look at what they're willing to do for each other. Meanwhile, when this was written, they're like, look, look what they did to each other. Look at this. You want yeah, that for yourself? Exactly. I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, that's so funny. I didn't know that. And it totally makes sense now. Good. Now I'm justified in not liking that movie at all. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think, look, love's going to solve my relationship problems. You recount a story about your first girlfriend. Are you comfortable sharing that? It's been a million years, but I think it's really good. Oh, sure. Talk about biggest learning experience of my life. I, I talk about it all the time. First love, first girlfriends. We were together for a few years. We were doing long distance. And it, it was a situation where basically every year that went by, like more stuff went wrong. Um, so I moved to a school on the other side of the country and then something happened and her parents basically like didn't want her to have anything to do with me anymore. And then something else happened and my parents didn't want me to have anything to do with her anymore. And then there was like breakups and there was just basically red flags all over the place. And she and I, we went through that cycle that a lot of people go through of like breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together. And every time Every time we went through that cycle, the emotions would get more intense. Uh, so the breakup would hurt more, but then the reunion would feel that much better because it, there was this sense of like fate and destiny of like, oh my God, if we can overcome everything we've overcome this far, then then we're supposed to be together. This is fate and it's meant to be. And um, it was all just a bunch of bullshit. Like it was two kids being really stupid, basically. It ended disastrously as it should have. Like, I think any intelligent person, probably my parents, thought it was going to end. And so, yeah, it was a huge learning experience for me. It made me very jaded for a while towards like romance and love. But uh, it was as an adult looking back on my silly 19 year old self, I can definitely see that it, it was a very important lesson of, of what love is and isn't and what uh, a relationship should and should not be. Yeah, it's it's kind of showing, it's illustrating the point that love is not worth sacrificing yourself, and it might make you feel a little bit better about your relationship problems, but it doesn't solve any of the relationship problems themselves. 
Right. And it creates more. I mean, because as soon as you start giving up your own identity to be with somebody, you're just creating a worse relationship. So uh, it's one of those things where you're you're fixing the short term problem by creating this like huge romantic sacrifice. But you're just setting yourself up for an even more disastrous failure down the road. What about sacrifice, though? I mean, it seems like it would have a place in love and in relationships, but I think it's a, a matter of degree. It totally does. And, and I think it has to do with sacrifices need to be made consciously and, again, unconditionally. It needs to be – because anytime the, the, a relationship enters into this, like, well, I quit my job for you, so now you need to do this for me. Anytime a relationship kind of enters in that territory, it's really bad news. It's a really bad tendency and cycle to get into. So I I think sacrifices, they are necessary, but people need to make them just understanding. Like, I'm going to give this up because this relationship is more valuable. And then just leave it at that, you know, without any sort of, again, it comes back to expectations of what you get in return. You know, there, there needs to be no expectation of like, I gave this up, so now I deserve to get married and have the family I always dreamed up, or 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 I gave this up, so now I deserve to you know get to pick the movie every Friday night. Like there, <laughs> there's none of that. So basically, it's normal for people to occasionally sacrifice needs, wants, and even time. Of course, is the usual the first thing that comes to mind. That's normal in most relationships, but once you get into like life goals and purpose and ambition and dignity and self-respect, you start to wander down that that dark alley of destructive relationships. Right. And, and it sabotages everything. So to kind of use a more tangible example, you know, let's say my fiance, for whatever reason, demanded that I stop writing. Or, or let's say like for some reason, our relationship enters a scenario where I I need to stop writing to make her happier or something like that. Mm -hmm. And let's say that I'm even willing to do that. It's a huge sacrifice for me. I'm giving up my livelihood and one of my passions, but you know, it's, I'm going to marry her. So I I say like, all right, this is worth it. I love her. I'm going to give up writing forever. Even if I do that, if I successfully do that, I've now compromised a part of my identity. I've basically taking a huge part of my life and a huge part of what I find important and meaningful in my life and gotten rid of it. And so that's going to change me as a person. That's going to make me much more miserable. And, you know, I'm going to have a lot like a long period of confusion where I'm like looking for something else to dedicate my time and my energy to. Uh, And that affects the relationship. So and it makes it a worse relationship. So the irony of these sorts of sacrifices is that the person who demands the sacrifice of their partner is usually the one who who gets screwed over the most you know so it's like say my fiance demands i give up give up writing well that changes me as a person it makes me a more miserable partner it makes me a worse partner for her i'm unable to give her the things that i used to give her and be the man that i used to be and so suddenly she's like wakes up one day and and she's dating a guy that She's with a guy that isn't the same guy that she met. It's a broken version of the of the man that she met. We, we kind of talk about this in other ways, in other episodes of the show. We won't get into too much of it here, but it's kind of like when guys in, are in relationships and they try to, I'll use the sort of classic example. People email me to complain about, I'm not going to pick on women here, but 
they'll be in a relationship and she's trying to get him to like not do dangerous stuff and not travel so much and spend more time with her instead of his friends and all these things are are valid in a lot of ways but you know he gets kind of tamed right the classic sort of guy complaint midlife crisis stuff like what happened to the old me right yeah but they both wake up one day and she's like what happened to you you were so interesting and fun and he's like you encouraged me to stop doing all those things that made me who I was, who you fell in love with. And and it's kind of a consistent process that people change each other inside relationships. And so you've got to kind of swim upstream sometimes. And obviously the solution that I would argue is you grow together in similar directions if possible, but it's not sure. always possible. Uh, but I, I, see the, I see the parallel there big time, especially if the boundaries become unhealthy. For example, if someone said, I need you to stop writing, if something doesn't come to mind about what you would do with yourself, like if someone said, listen, you know, I just can't have you doing this show, that would have to be a deal breaker because what the hell else am I going to do with my life, right? Like, I love right. doing this. And I don't know why anybody would need me to stop doing that for any healthy reason. So it starts to become very toxic when the boundaries aren't put into place early. You can't do it right. 10 years later. You know, then the person sees it as you're resisting the whole relationship instead of at the time is probably a minor change or request. Yeah, it gets much, much harder the more time that goes on. And the funny thing too, I mean, if you look at, you know, to get to bring the topic back to love and what love is and what it should be is, you know, part of love is, you know, a lot of people think if I love somebody, I'm loving them despite their flaws. I, I think to love somebody, you need to love their flaws in a sense, you know, you need mm -hmm. to love like, yeah, he travels all the time and he's never home, but, that represents a part of his personality and a part of his identity that that you have to love you know like like my girlfriend drives me crazy sometimes you know she's brazilian so she's late quite often and <laughs> every as a habit and she's you know she spends hours upon hours in, in the bathroom like putting on makeup and is like really obsessive and neurotic about certain outfits and stuff it drives me nuts. Like there, there are nights where like, I just openly complain. I'm like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you like this? But the thing is, is that it represents a larger facet of her personality in, in that she is very conscientious. She's very meticulous about taking care of herself and taking care about me, taking care of me. And she's vain, like she's vain in a good way. Like she's very conscious of her appearance and how she presents herself. She's very proud of how she presents herself. And I love that about her. So all the good things about people, there's usually some sort of negative side effects that shows up if you spend enough time with them. You know, that everything, like the best thing about people is also usually one of the worst things about people. And so if you're going to love somebody and be with them for a long time, you have to find like flaws that you're willing to appreciate and respect, even if you don't like them. That's actually really good insight. I totally agree with that. It's hard to love somebody's flaws sometimes, especially if they start to drive you crazy. But it is true that it, without them, you wouldn't have the same person, right? Exactly. On the sort of flip side of some of these expectations and boundaries and things like that, you talk about the relationship scorecard. And I think this is an, an interesting concept because I think people do this, it starts off subconsciously, it might always even be subconscious, but it can create such insanely intense animosity inside relationships. And I, when I read that, I thought, okay, I don't really do that, but I probably totally did that in college, right? And I think a lot <laughs> of people don't outgrow those, those patterns. 
and who knows, a lot of people listening right now are in college and they're going, oh my God, I do this. Can you tell us about the scorecard and what it is? Keeping score generally in relationships, we talk about it in networking is terrible, but I never thought about it in romantic relationships. So keeping a scorecard in the relationship is essentially, most people who do it aren't very conscious of it. People kind of tally up how much they're doing for their partner and how much their partner is doing for them. So, and what you end up with is a lot of kind of silly conflicts of people yelling stuff like, well, I cooked lunch for you every day last week and you didn't even bother to do this for me this week. Um, Basically, they have this sense that like everything that each partner in the relationship does for each other needs to be proportional and equal. Uh, And that's just completely unrealistic for a few reasons. One is just that things change over time. Some people, their lives get busy and their partner's life isn't as busy. And uh, some people go through weeks where like they're not feeling very good or they're sick or, you know, their aunt died or whatever. So there's just a natural variance to life. And so it's unfair to constantly have this expectation that everything you do for your partner is should be reciprocated in some sense, in some form. Um, The other reason it doesn't work is that usually, again, one of the things that makes relationships work really well is that the other person adds value to your life in a way that you're not very aware of or very good at yourself. You know, I could sit here and bitch and complain of like, oh, well, you know, I helped you with that bank mess that you dealt with last week and you never showed any appreciation for that. But it's like my girlfriend does tons of little things for me uh, that I may not even be paying attention to because I'm so bad at them myself that I'm just unaware that like she's helping me out in that way. Uh, And then, of course, it comes back to just the conditionality, like just communicating unconditionally. If everything you do for your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse is done on the pretense of getting something in return, of deserving something in return, you're not really in a romantic relationship anymore. You're in a business transaction. Yes. That's a very like cold and shitty place to be. All right. Now back to Mark Manson. You know, when I when I hear this right now, I'm thinking of what we call at AOC, we call them covert contracts. And yes. one of the classic examples of this is what we what we see when guys are like, look, this girl's great, she's my perfect match, I pick her up from the airport every time she goes out of town, I'm always there for her when she complains about her boyfriend. That's sort of the classic example of it. And the answer is, listen, you're not in a friendship, you're not friends with her, this is a covert contract. On your end, your agreement that you have in your head with her that she doesn't know about is, you do all of these things for her, dot, 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 she'll love you romantically. And that's not how it works. And your example shows these covert contracts inside relationships where, let's say, it's like, hey, you know, I bought this house for you. I pay for the car. I buy all the food. You're supposed to cook and clean, and you're supposed to provide sex whenever I want it, and you're supposed to raise my children, and you're supposed to give up all your of your other life ambitions for me. So let's say she wants to paint or something like that. You're like, no, I'm not going to send you off to do that. What? Why aren't you? And arguments start over things that make no sense to her because it's not part of the deal you have that's imaginary that only exists 
exists in your head, right? Where you're paying for things and you're doing all these things and dot, 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 you're expecting something. And that's very toxic to the relationship because like you said, then you're not in a give and take relationship. You're in, you're, you're, you have a deal and that person's in breach except they don't know the terms. I really like that term, by the way, the, the covert contract. I mean, it, it's basically this transaction that you've invented in your head of like, well, if I take her out this many nights a week, then, you know, she'll like cook me breakfast and have sex with me. And like you said, the, the problem is a, like she's not aware of it or your partner is not aware of it. Um, and so you end up getting mad and, and fighting over kind of imaginary conflicts that don't really exist. Uh, and B, yeah, it creates this like transactional relationship. Like it's the person in your life that you're supposed to be the most intimate and open with. And if you're constantly kind of creating these these situations that have like conditions and stipulations and like, oh, I'm only going to cuddle with you if you cook me dinner. And like you just end up with a relationship that's really screwed up and doesn't make anybody happy because neither side will will feel like they're getting their needs met. Excellent. One of the oldest pieces of relationship advice in the book, and I mean the, the proverbial book, not your book, is that uh, you and your partner should be best friends. And I kind of like that, but I think you added a really amazing spin on it because you look at it in the positive. Of course, I should spend time with my partner like I do my best friend. We should communicate openly. We should talk about everything. There should be no boundaries. We should have fun like we do with our best friends. But your recommendation is brilliant. Let's look at it in the negative. Would you tolerate your current partner's negative behaviors in somebody who was, quote unquote, your best friend? And the answer is hell no if you're in a dysfunctional relationship. Absolutely. And it's this test that, you know, when I put this article up, I got dozens and dozens of emails, particularly from women who said that this particular, the friendship test or the best friend test or whatever you want to call it, just opened their eyes and freaked them out. It, it's funny, actually, Jordan, I get emails from people saying like, hey, thanks. I just divorced my husband because of you. And like, <laughs> they're actually real. They're really happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's the example that comes to mind right right now is that I have a, a female friend who uh, was married to a guy who was insanely jealous. I mean, jealous to the point where he would go on business trips with her because he just like couldn't handle the idea of her being in a hotel Whoa. in another city by herself. Yeah, like insane, insane jealousy. And it never occurred to her that this was unacceptable behavior. She just, again, she just saw it as an extension of his love. She's like, oh, well, he just, he really loves me. And that's, it's just his thing. You know, it's like he gets really insecure. I looked at it. I think about situations like that. I'm like, can you imagine if your best friend needed to go on every business trip with you, stay in the same hotel as you? Because they were scared that you might make friends with somebody else and become best friends with somebody else. Like when you put it in that light, it sounds so utterly insane, it completely unacceptable that it's hard to look at, you know, a relationship situation where somebody does that in the same way again. By the way, spoiler alert, she ended up divorcing that guy. Shocking, so, right? Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, you can only deal with that for so long before you just become like a shell of a person. I mean, it's you're under constant surveillance at that point. Right. It's like being imprisoned. Yeah, right. Like having one of those little br anklets on, except for it has eyes and ears, too. 
<laughs> and yeah, and it's your husband. <laughs> right. And it's your, yeah, your significant other. It reminds me of that quote. If you talk to your friends, like you talk to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends except right. it's your partner as well as, yeah, I, I think that's powerful because I think a lot of people right now, and I, I think I have a feeling we're going to get some emails too, like, oh my God, my current partner is a jackass. I would never tolerate this in a friend. I've gotten rid of friends for the same shit my husband or girlfriend is doing right now. What am I doing yeah. right now? And it's a really interesting filter and lens to look through, but it does require you to say, to sort of trash the but we're in love excuse. Going back to the love conquers all type thing, a lot of people go, well, it's different because we have a different kind of love. And to that I would say, well, for now, you can't allow things to get worse. It's like you wouldn't let somebody throw you off a bridge if, if you, well, no, no, but I'll tie you up with this piece of twine. You, you'll be fine. No thanks, right? Yeah. And people look at their love like that, like, no, it's going to be fine because love. And then even worse, they go, well, let's have kids and that'll fix things, right? And people right oh, now <laughs> people right now are going, oops, I did that. Or they're going, oh, I would never do that. But it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's the let's have kids, that will fix things, or that will change him, or that, that will change her. Uh, let's get married, that will change things. Things never change. It's either there or it's not. And yeah, at this point, I mean, the point you and I are in in our life right now is when you see uh, a lot of people, you know, making these types of mistakes, you know, the disastrous first marriage or, you know, trying to save a bad marriage by having kids or first divorce, things like that. And again, if you apply the friendship test, it's kind of like, well, my, my best friend and I have been fighting a lot lately, but maybe if we move in together as roommates, we'll stop fighting. It's completely irrational. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it that way. Whenever you apply different filters, right, you can sort of highlight the ridiculousness of the situation by going, well, wait a minute. This is not something I would ever tolerate in X. Why am I tolerating it here? And then you find yourself, well, X, Y, Z excuse. And it's like, well, evaluate that. How strong and how valid is that really? Or is it just something you're telling yourself to rationalize a choice that you made that frankly sucks? I think the reason that people are so bad at this is just because breaking up with a significant other is so painful. Even breaking up from a bad relationship is extremely painful. That, And again, this comes back to people just being very poor at making logical decisions for ourselves. That we have this feeling of like, well, a breakup is going to be hurt so, so much that I can put up with this for a little while longer. You know, maybe he'll change in a month. Maybe she'll change when the kids come along. When the fact is, is that if you, if we had like kind of an objective perspective, like constant gnawing pain in the relationship was going to last for year after year after year, then it's no question to take that short term hit of the breakup. You know, it's it's worth it in the long run. Boundaries are interesting because we get a lot of questions about it, of course, but also because people will make excuses for bending or not having them based on, well, it's a romantic relationship or, oh, we're married or, oh, we have kids. But my opinion is there's got to be some hard line for you personally. Yes, you can have different relationship boundaries with friends, acquaintances, family, uh, spouse, Etc. But at some point, you've got to draw a hard line where when people start to encroach on it, it starts to become unhealthy for you, even if it's your own kids. And you hear that a lot. It's almost cliche, like, I've never made any time for myself. I've never done anything for myself since I've had kids. And it's understandable, but it's, it doesn't make it healthy. 
Um, can you speak a little bit to boundaries, especially when it comes to romantic relationships? I think this comes back to the toxic definition of love. So people who buy into this kind of Disney version of love, this idea that if I love my partner, I should be willing to do absolutely anything for them. I should be willing to die for them. And like you said, people take that same approach towards loving their kids. They're like, well, I, I have to spend all my time with them and I have to give up all these things for them because I love them. You know, and, and it's this, this idea, people who generally struggle with boundaries, I find the reason they struggle is because they can't get past the idea that if they put limits on what they're willing to do or what they're willing to have done to them uh, with their partners or people close to them in their life, they have this feeling that that means that they don't love them. I think actually the opposite is true. I think love is understanding that my girlfriend is her own person and that she has her own desires and, and goals. I think that's a, it's actually a much truer and healthier statement of love that I shouldn't expect her to give up everything for me just as she shouldn't expect me to give up everything for her because if she did expect me to give up everything, give up who I am and what defines me and and uh, my dreams and, and life goals, then she's not loving me. What she's loving is she's loving the benefits of having me around. She's loving the things that I do for her, the the time that I spend with her. She doesn't actually love me as a person if she's not willing to draw those limitations. So for me, it's it's a definition issue. I think when people kind of get the definition of a healthy form of love right in their own head, the boundaries start to kind of flow as an extension of that. I would agree with that, although I will say right now, there's a lot of people in relationships going, where am I with this? Is there a way we can kind of maybe take inventory of our boundaries and find out whether or not there are any or whether or not we're on thin ice here? Uh, the way I usually describe it, and I have an article about this on my site, appropriately called The Guide to Strong Boundaries. The way I describe it is is in terms of responsibility. So I should care about my partner's emotions and and what happens to her, but I am not responsible for her emotions and what happens to her. Um, similarly, she, I hope she cares about my emotions and what happens to me, but she is not directly responsible. And Again, this is like a very subtle thing that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because they're like, well, you know, I'm in love and I love him. And so I should be responsible for making him happy. And it's like, no, you should want to make him happy, but it's not your responsibility. If you hold yourself as obligated to make somebody else feel good, like you can't control what happens in somebody else's life. All you can do is support the other person and what happens in their life. Similarly, is the other person, your partner cannot control what happens in your life. They can't control how you feel. Uh, they can't control how you respond to things. All they can do is try their best to support and, and be there for what you say to them. Um, so the, you can get into all sorts of nitty gritty kind of examples. And, but in my mind, at the end of the day, it comes back to responsibility and in the sense of like obligation of like, oh, it's my obligation that my partner be happy all the time. And that's just not true. It's part of life is being miserable. And part of part of my what my real obligation is, is 
to continue loving my partner, even though she may be miserable one day. It's not to fix her. It's not to change her in any way. Right. I, I love the idea that you can ask yourself or in a, inside of a conflict, am I choosing to accommodate this person because I love them and because this is part of a functional relationship? Or do I feel obligated, like I have to accommodate them and, and vice versa? And perhaps more importantly, because controlling our own behavior is always the way to go, in my opinion. Am I asking them to choose to accommodate me or do I feel like they have to accommodate me? because we're in a relationship or because I'm the mother or father of their children. There cannot be that sense of obligation because that's what kills things in the end. Would you agree? Totally. And again, you know, coming back to the whole, everything comes down to the negative, the quality of your boundaries in your relationship. And I would even say the quality of your relationship is very much predicated on the ability of both partners to say no to one, one another. Boundaries get fuzzy and break down when partners aren't able to say no. They're not able to stand up for their own needs and their own desires and their own perspectives. And they're not able to occasionally reject their partners when they feel it's wrong or when they feel they're being unfair. And again, that's a very kind of unconventional take, I guess, on like what the conventional wisdom would be. You know, it's like, I always say yes, always be positive or whatever. But I think that saying no in a relationship is actually like one of the most important things that both partners need to be capable of doing. Otherwise you just get in this entangled mess of like, like constantly feeling at fault for anything that goes wrong with either of you. And that's not fair to both people. Beautiful. Mark Manson, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you deliver to the audience? No, just go to my website, see if you like it. Yeah, That's we'll, about it. we'll have that linked up in the show notes <laughs> and everything. No worries. No worries, brother. Thank you so much for your time. This has been great, and, uh, and we'll, we appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. Really good show. Really interesting. I love the boundary inventory. Thinking of a conflict, asking yourself those tough questions. Am I asking them to accommodate me? Do I believe they're obligated to accommodate me? Am I accommodating them or do I feel like I have to? These are relationship questions that if you ask them often enough in the right context, you can save yourself a whole lot of trouble. That and love is not enough. Really, really interesting points and a great article. We'll have that linked up in the show notes for you as well. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. That means you get to drive a lot of the guests here. If you know someone who's a good fit, let us know. Guests at theartofcharm.com. And thank Mark on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes. I'm on Twitter as well, at theartofcharm. Complaints, compliments, other assorted flattery, always welcome. And I post a lot of stuff there that never makes it to the show because it's silly, ridiculous, or off-topic, and sometimes just because it's easier to tweet than it is to broadcast. Bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it, get in touch ASAP. We'll get you some info. Subscribe to us in iTunes. We've got 450-plus hours of good stuff in there, at least. And write us a nice review. A lot of haters out there, they're always the loudest ones. You want to help us out, you can buy some products and training from us, or you can write us a nice review, and or, I should say. You can write us a nice review in iTunes, and we'll love you forever. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.
Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.